Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and uh, you can find me on the internet at redtailedhawk90, and my co-host is Jade. That's me. You can find me on the internet at jadeoxfordrose in most places, and I use they-them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we are talking about book 30, The Reunion. Um, it is a Marco book. It is intense. I highly recommend you read it. It's a very good book. Um, some... Book specific content warnings. There aren't a whole lot of like traditional triggers here. Um, we have a pretty, um, descriptive description of drowning at the very beginning in the first chapter. Uh, and we have throughout just so, so many feelings and musings and pain around parental death and feelings of grief. Because not only is this a Marco book, but this is a Marco book that involves his mother. Uh, so, it's, it is so much. It is extremely uh-huh. good, but it is so much. Uh, yeah, it's, al- it's always fun for me approaching the books where people, where I see the number talked about in hushed tones behind spoiler tags. Hmm. And just like, oh yeah book 30 like or just like in lists of books that are like emotional just like oh this one this one book 30 and i'm here just like eye emoji like what's gonna happen <laughs> dear listeners so much happened <laughs> so much. all the time yep everything happens so so much uh it's interesting because in terms of actual plot there's not lots in this mm-hmm. it's actually a very it's a super tight condensed story yes like, yes. when you think about it, this happens over the course of, like, two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it is uh, It is a relatively short book, uh, which is something I was glad for when I realized I had to read the book at 10 o'clock last night. Um, oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you didn't fall into the trap of, I'll just go to bed now, wake up early, and read it in the morning. Yeah, I had that Don't thought that multiple game. times. Uh. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can pull that shit off and have done, or at least I did in school. Not so much now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I do like that two-thirds through our notes document, there's, <laughs> there's an apology from Danielle. Just like, the book got... Look, it was late, and I got sucked in, so I didn't make any notes past this point. <laughs> and I <was> like, fair. <laughs> I, I realized at that point that I was basically just wanting to say, just just read the whole rest of the book. So, I was yeah, like, this, this is isn't going to... Yeah, we're going to probably end up reading a few chunks anyway, yeah. but this is one where... Uh, this is not going to necessarily be a super detailed recap, because otherwise we are just going to... Do yes. an audio version of the book. Yes. We're going to do book 30 as read by Danielle and Jade. Um, with lots of yelling in between. With lots of yelling in between. <laughs> uh, because it's, as it's short and it's tight and it's incredibly well written. And mm-hmm. we spend, as is the nature of perspectives, this is such a 
personal issue for Marco. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we've experienced books from his perspective before, and we know how he approaches things. But there is an upsetting amount of insight from him into his own character and his uh-huh. own processes mm-hmm. that are just... We, we shriek about these being children a lot. Yes. Uh, because it is very upsetting as somebody in their mid-30s to read a book about children doing this. But, like, the duality of Marco talking about what he feels he has to do while clearly us as the reader seeing this young person grieving for his mother and just wanting her back, like, you see the duality that he is sort of forced to inhabit of this child, but also of the strategist. The role that he has to play. And it's interesting reading this, like we've seen with Cassie and like we've seen with Jake and like we've seen with Rachel, incredibly aware of what he has to do and like criticizing it. Mm -hmm. And you can feel him, you can feel how much he's at odds with himself. Yeah. And it's very good writing and it's very upsetting. And as will surprise nobody, I have feelings about Benny LaFontaine every fucking day of my life. (laughs) Yeah, it was especially potent in this book. Uh. Yeah, like we talk about this a lot and it's not fair to say that Benny is like identical to Marco because those two characters are not. Yes, Benny happens to be the strategist playbook, is, is the playbook used by Richard who plays Benny. They're very different characters, mm-hmm. but also thematically so much is resonant between mm-hmm. the two. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to like a familial duty, mm-hmm. I suppose, versus the duty, like his duty as a, as the soldier, the part that uh, he has to play in this conflict. And what I kind of love about this is I feel with Marco, he has this, he keeps the, he feels like this is a different part of himself that he's tapping into. But unlike Jake, who expresses the notion of like being able to put it down afterwards or the desire to, and Rachel, who feels herself changing and worries about it and what person is she now and the way she's seen marco sees himself incredibly clearly Mm -hmm. and you can see how conflicted he is about it but he's also like it's both very well realized but there's also definitely some hardcore compartmentalization going on Mm -hmm. and you see how that doesn't work Mm -hmm. which is just it's incredibly good to see like it's narratively satisfying i mean Yes. Yes. And how the others interact with Marco throughout this book. Everybody is super well written in this book. Yes. Let me be clear. Yeah. Like, er, like, there's some quality acts content, which makes me very happy in a Marco book. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. I'm just saying. Um, but, uh, getting to see sort of Tobias, like, we don't have a lot of Jake in this book. Hmm. Like, there's comparatively little of him. 
which is interesting coming off the back of the megamorphs yes. as well. Um, and what happens to Jake at like the end of the second act in this book? Um, trauma up and down. Yep. Uh, I... But it's interesting to get to see that. I don't know. Yes, 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 yes. Forgot to look up the ghostwriter for this book. Is this a ghostwriter one? Mm-hmm. Oh, dang. Have they got dollar? <laughs> I, I, I would give you a raise. Hefty yeah. bonus. This was written by Elise Smith, uh, who also wrote book 37, which is also a Jake Light book. Uh, and 46, which is an axe book. Interesting. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to, after we've read all the book, we're going to have to like go back to the ghost written ones and do some like nerdy analysis spreadsheet shit about how the different <laughs> ghost writers approach the characters. They're chuckling because they will do this and it will be very fun and we're just very nerdy people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ooh, there'll be documentation. <laughs> Spreadsheets? <laughs> I know how to make Danielle's day. Just like, hey, we need to record an episode about this very sad book series and there could be spreadsheets later. <laughs> uh, uh, but yes. But yeah, it's a loop back there. We get to see some group dynamics that we haven't really seen at the forefront before. They've maybe been implied to be happening, but they've been sort of more off screen. Mm -hmm. But also as we move into like the final sort of, I say even back half of the book, mm -hmm. we get to see the team working incredibly well together. And that's yes. always super satisfying to read. Yes. Even though they hit some bumps, like they recover. And the way they're all there for each other, taking on their roles, is like it's. It feels like you should have a little bit of like heist music playing in places. It's got that good sort of. Mm, yes, yes, love to yes. see a team working well together. Yes, well-oiled machine. Food. Yeah. All but right. Before we get to that, I suppose we should get into this deeply upsetting opening. Yeah. Uh, we open this the book. Is not a this. It's so much. It's so much <laughs> on. A nightmare that Marco is having, uh, where he is in the ocean, uh, watching a woman drown. Uh, not just any woman, but his mother. Um, he is able to swim towards her and get close enough to, like, grab onto her and, like, keep them both afloat. Um, and, uh, his mother in the dream is like, thank you, and I'm free. Uh, and then an ocean current takes her out of his grasp and sucks her under the water. Um, he tries to dive down to get her, uh, can't, can't see her. Um, and then he wakes up screaming, essentially. Uh, and his dad is in the room. His dad. Uh, presumably has come to wake him from his nightmare um, and correctly guesses that the nightmare was about Marco's mother, 
which is upsetting. Um, and then Marco like pushes it down is like, nope, this is fine. This isn't bothering me. I'm gonna assure my dad that I'm fine because Marco does that. Does that. <laughs> like he literally says to her, I'm okay, big guy. Like, mm-hmm. this yeah. is just like that indicator of how much Marco has been looking after his dad, even though his dad is now presumably doing better. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like that's something that somebody says to their kid. Yep. Yep. And it's like, oof. Yep. Oof. Yep. Just Marco having taken care of his dad for what was it like two, three years, and internalizing mm-hmm. all of that and being unable to let it go, even though his dad has like stepped up to become the parent again. Um, mm-hmm. Or before we go, given how much um, Visa One is in this book, what is uh, Marco's mum's canonical name? Eva. Is it Eva? It might be just rather than Marco's mum. Every time might be mm-hmm. just, <laughs> easier. It might be useful. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. Yes. Um. It. Uh. Yeah, but this dream is upsetting, especially considering just how much, how many, Marco never has a good time in the ocean. Ever. Nope. <laughs> no. Uh, and yeah, it, like it's he so much. nearly died in Dolphin Moor. Mm-hmm. That was when he was like bleeding out, right? Yeah, that was book four. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. You know, how they learned that they can heal from horrible injury? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Those days. <laughs> ah, the good old days of the early books. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, but we get the kind of normal rundown. Um, Marco gives it as like a, a, a timeline of his life where... Uh, you know, there was the before times, or as his dad calls them, the salad days. Um, uh, where, like, Eva was present in their lives. Don't think about how the salad days were probably the years that Eva was infested with Visser One, and Visser One was just going along with whatever Peter wanted because it made her life easier. Don't think about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then Visser One takes Eva out into the ocean in the middle of the night uh, and fakes her death. Um, and then the Animorphs, years later, get the morphing powers. Uh, they find Axe. Um, and then we get the highlight of Marco learning that uh his mother is the host of Visser One. And then the reminder of the last time we saw Visser One, which was at the uh uh computer chip controlled shark uh Royan Island incident, uh wherein the, the facility was basically imploded, and uh we weren't sure that Marco's mother survived because uh, like 
everything imploded, and the last he saw, she was, like, floating, basically dead in the water. Um, so, foreshadowing. That's not the last we mm-hmm. see of her. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yep. And, and we get the, the basic rundown of Yerks and how they work, that they're parasitic, they take you over completely. Um, we, we get the added, uh, bonus of the Yerk in my mother's head can look through her memories and see what she saw as she comforted me in my crib long ago. Uh, I don't know that she was infested that long. But possibly. Uh, oh, well, no. Because it's like, memories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, memories of me crying from a skin knee. Memories of grouchy breakfast with my dad and me. Memories of the hideously embarrassing birds and peas conversation. Which I love that uh, Eva gave. <laughs> I love that Visser 1 possibly might have had to give that talk to Marco. <laughs> Horrifying. It is. It is Horrifying, tickling to me. I, so. <laughs> I. I would. I. God, no, I'm fuel. Um. I just like the notion of Eva being very savvy and realizing, like, the little kind of Lothario that Marco was trying to be, and just be like, mm, I'm going to give this conversation early. <laughs> just like I could imagine, like, uh, younger Marco running around trying to talk to girl, like. The, mm-hmm, the girls in his mm-hmm, class mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's like he is like this sweet, funny kid. Mm-hmm. So, just like that's less upsetting. To, I do not want to think about Vissa One attempting to be the birds and the bees talk. <laughs> as entertaining yeah. as that can be, I, I think yeah. I find it a little too upsetting. <laughs> yeah, down that way lies a lot of fridge horror. So. uh Mm. Um, so Marco, uh, begins to get ready for school after his dad leaves for work that day. Um, he definitely intended to go to school, but, you know, in the way that sometimes you wake up and you're like, nah, this day ain't gonna happen. Uh, he, (laughs) (laughs) instead of walking to the bus stop for school, he walks past it and gets on a city bus headed for downtown. Uh, he's kind of just, like, walking around, mostly, I think, just trying to get his mind off the nightmare that he had. Um, and he's like, maybe I'll catch a movie, who knows, you know, whatever. Um, but he he gets dropped off downtown, and, uh, pretty quickly off the bus, he gets, like, just bowled over by uh, a woman carrying a huge fucking briefcase. Um. (laughs) And I I do appreciate Marco's like, okay, nah, I'm not letting this stand. Uh He's, like, pissed off. Like, this is the disrespect. No one has stopped to help him up. Mm-hmm. And he decides that he's uh he's gonna go after this woman and shove her. Yes. Um which is just peak teen boy. Mm-hmm. Um And what's interesting is as he's following her, he realizes that she's wearing a wig. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is after we get the description about the briefcase being big enough to hold a Doberman, Doberman and being built to maim. Yeah. Um, and uh, he decides, um, and it's a not a good wig. This is a bad wig. Um, and Marco is like, ah, revenge. <laughs> um, and he decides, I was going to trip her. So, um, and then the wig maybe come off. And as this woman passes him, or passes the pillar that he's hid behind, he realizes that it's this one. And proceeds to, as one might, freak out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, pulls his cap down over his face, doesn't want to be seen, because he's immediately like, even as he's like, okay, so she is alive, and trying to like process that, he still has enough sense to cover his face. Mm-hmm. So, and we have this conflict with him about he's relieved and happy and fearful all at once. She's alive, but that's great but also this is this one this is somebody incredibly dangerous and then says okay so why is she in a disguise is she hiding from who and he's like well he could follow her um and find whoever it is she's going to see because he could get back to school and make it before the late bell but then he'd lose track of her and who knows when this opportunity would come up again and like we were talking before uh about how Marco felt like in this book, especially we feel him like the strategist voice and his own feelings. They feel like two different parts of him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we see also see this clear lineation, delineation between Eva, his mother and Vissa one mm-hmm. talking about them as two different people, which yes, they are to be clear, but also they are inhabiting just the one body at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it just struck me in that moment, like the parallel of that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but he keeps following her uh, up to the Sutherland Tower, uh, which is downtown's tallest building. Um, and he's able to uh, follow her in, uh, keeping a little bit of a distance. Um, but there was something I was going to mention before, and I completely... Oh, yeah, I've got it. Anyway. Uh, so that it's a nice lobby. Uh, Marco clocks the fact that you need a security pass, uh, to get past the guard station. Um, and now he's been clocked by the guards mm-hmm. as being in there. And he can't risk drawing a commotion because then this one might look around and see him. Right. Um, so he just stands there by the, and this is just so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into what he does next, I just want to posit to you, Alamist fuckery? Question mark. I mean, it like, is <laughs> the convenience of him having his mother on his mind, mm-hmm. like a nightmare, and then just happening to be getting bumped into mm-hmm. by her. Yeah, there like, is plot contrivance and or Alamist fuckery. There are so many coincidences in the Animorphs' mm. lives that, like, True. you you can attribute all of it to Elemist fuckery, uh, and it works just fine, um, because he's that kind of person. Um, so it's it's really just down to personal preference of how much how much you want to just be dumb luck, and how much you want to be mm. 
the Elemist pulling strings to make uh, sure that certain people come together. Because uh, we're never we're never told one way or the other how exactly how mm-hmm. much the Elemist has his fingers in things. Um, yeah, how much uh, is of the game being played? Exactly. I suppose it's a very good uh, ass poll mm-hmm. for Ka and the Ghost Riders. Just like that seems awfully convenient. Well, there is the Elmist, <laughs> <laughs> so who could say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I go back and forth, like, book to book, whether things are just coincidence or Mm. not. Um, in this one, I think I landed more on the side of just coincidence, uh, Mm. but to each their own. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so... Somebody else comes into the building through the revolving door and quick as anything, Marco's just like, oh, hi, dad. What took you so long? Mm-hmm. Um, and before this guy even has a chance to react, uh, Marco has taken hold of his hand mm-hmm. and uh, put him into the acquisition trance. Mm-hmm. Um, just quick as anything. And uh, this works like a fucking charm. Holy shit. Like, <laughs> the security guard greets Mr. Grant. Uh, Marco's like, it's fathers take their sons to work day and just leads him past security. Uh, apparently, this probably works as well because Mr. Grant is clearly somebody important. Um, he oh like, has God. his like boyish. Mm? I just clocked that this dude's name is Mr. Grant. Okay. Michael Grant. Oh my God. <laughs> Very good. Well played. <laughs> I hope this is the ghostwriter being like, ah, ah, uh, ah. Uh, see, he's your son. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh huh. Um, but yeah. So Marco's doing his charming act. Um, get the detail of he fo- he's found that if you act like a moron, adults tend to leave you alone. Mm-hmm. It's when they think you're smart that they give you a hard time. And it's like, hmm, lived experience much there, Marco? Oh, definitely. Um, right? Um, but, and this one, like, Marco had no intention of um, morphing mm-hmm. Mr. Grant. Uh, it's literally, it was literally a way in mm-hmm. um, to get to the elevators. And, uh, and he's able to sort of let go of Grant's hand and just sort of like slipped into the elevator. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Grant is just, like, feeling a bit off. Because, like, I imagine you do feel a little bit funky after mm-hmm. uh, having your DNA acquired. Yeah, and you don't—you definitely don't attribute it to, like, this weird 13-year-old who was just holding your hand. Like, you... Yeah. I mean, why would you? You would look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the elevator door opens, the uh, post guy comes out. Uh, sorry, the male guy. Mm-hmm. Um, grumbling as people try to get on the elevator while he's still trying to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this actually provides a useful way because Marco's able to enter the elevator on the other side from Vista 1. Mm-hmm. And there's enough people there that he's able to stay hidden. Yes. 
Uh, and he realizes that he's going to have to get off the elevator at the same time as her. And there he sort of realizes he's got a problem because he can't risk being seen. Mm-hmm. So in a crowded elevator, he's going to morph as, as you do. Yep. To, to housefly, not to, you know, just another human. No, to a housefly. Uh, he picks up a newspaper that uh one of the women in the elevator kind of dropped and he kind of just like crouches down against the back wall of the elevator and puts the newspaper over his face as he morphs. Yeah. This is quite it's a section like cuz it's a Wall Street Journal and it's like because I've read like big Sunday papers like sections will just fall out. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a little savvy thing, uh, mm-hmm. and but just like of all the things he could have done, uh huh. But maybe he doesn't have anybody that would fit in his clothing neatly. I don't know. Eh. Yeah. Regardless, yeah. he briefly gets clocked by the. Um, I do like appreciate like this is like business mode, like being in London. Like you don't make eye contact with other people. Mm-hmm. You are focused on your own business, yep. especially not in the elevator. I huh. Um but uh because he's now small enough to be under the paper, um he thinks the woman who dropped it, however, does briefly uh see him. Mm-hmm. But uh like she like blinks and he's then small enough to not be seen. Yeah. Yes, I- there's a pile of clothing now in the corner of the elevator, but who knows, how do we know that that wasn't there when we got on the elevator? They weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do like the spit take that we get her doing where she like, mm. she, she turns back, picks up the newspaper, turns back forward. And then it's like, Oh shit. What was that? <laughs> uh, but again, by the time she looks back, he's totally fly and he goes and he lands on, uh, Visser one's briefcase. Everybody gets off, except for Visser 1. Uh, Mr. Grant gets off on the 21st floor. The Visser goes to the 22nd floor uh, and steps out alone uh, uh, and stops just outside the third door on the right, on the second, 22nd floor. Uh, and then we get a bit of a... Marco. Yeah, this is enough uh, information I, for Marco to act on. And he's like fully prepared to go and get the others at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Marco's glorious escape from the Sutherland Tower. <laughs> yes. Uh it is definitely a like a comedy of errors, just things going wrong one after the other. Um he gets sucked up yeah. into an air vent uh as a fly. Um can't get away from it. Has to demorph in the air vent to you know, stop from being sucked into like a, a filter. Um, mm-hmm. so he demorphs and then he crawls to the nearest vent exit, um, and drops down into the office below. Uh, as he drops down into this office, someone is coming into the office. He hears keys in the lock. The visual of him falling out of this vent straight into the waste paper basket yes. is incredible. <laughs> it's good. I have to keep reminding myself that he's very small. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's also a big waste paper basket. Yeah, yeah. I, I have had waste paper baskets that are huge like that, so. Um, Fair. Uh, so, yeah, he falls. <laughs> he falls a good eight or nine feet into the waste paper basket. Someone is coming in the door. Uh, so he, like, skitters. Because I just imagine him trying to run with this waste paper basket on his butt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> um, so he skitters into a second room, uh, into a cubicle. The person com- who is coming in the office is calling out for Mr. Grant. So apparently he has no choice, and so he morphs Mr. Grant. Um, but... We get some, like, weird fat phobia here that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad. But basically, like, turning into uh, Mr. Grant is, uh, like, mostly he just kind of grows wider and not very much taller and older. Um, and we get the weird description of, like, his morphing suit ripping, which doesn't make any sense. Um, but whatever. I mean, mm. whatever. It, it's a ghost-written book. You're gonna have some inconsistencies in the in the rules. Um, yeah. Uh, the woman comes in and is like, uh, "Is that you, Mister Grant? Are you okay?" And he's like, "No, I'm not okay. I'm very busy. Uh, no, I'm fine. Don't come in, <laughs> Mister Grant. You're here in the dark." I was just using this computer. Why are you at Carlos's desk? Uh, mine wasn't working. Can you get me some coffee from Starbucks? You know, the one on the corner that's outside of this building? <laughs> and she's like, sure. Uh, so. So he. Like, waits for her to leave, then he sprints over to the men's room where he runs smack into the real Mr. Grant, and then just knocks him the fuck out, uh-huh. <laughs> and drags him across the hall into a broom closet, steals all of his clothing, uh, and then leaves uh, the building. It's so much. I do like it's so. I do like we have this detail after he's knocked out. Mister Grant is like, "Oh man, oh man, Jake is gonna kill me, and if he doesn't, Cassie will." Which is just, <laughs> it's very it's good. Very good. Um, and then he goes home, or it's almost lunch by the time he gets home. So he changes and goes back to school. Yes. Uh, and he is able to kind of sneak in because at the change of periods and get to his locker. He runs into Jake and he's like, Jake, uh, I need to tell you something. Guess who I saw? And then Chapman comes up. Uh, because of course. Because of course he does. And Chapman is like, uh, so nice of you to join us because of course he noticed that Marco was absent because Chapman is honestly a very good assistant mm-hmm. principal and does his yeah. job that way. I also like that Jake is just like, "Mm, your problem, (laughs) I'm leaving. (laughs) Yep. Um, Because as far as Jake knows, this is a pretty normal kind of like, 
Oh, Marco skipped the first half of school. He's going to be in trouble with the assistant principal, not... Marco skipped the first half of school. He's going to be in trouble with Chapman, the the yerk. Mm. Uh, uh, but Marco manages to bluff his way out of Chapman calling his dad. Um, because expertly played. This ex- feels like somebody well that has definitely talked his way out of shit with a teacher before. One hundred percent. Yeah, because Marco lies and says that he was with his dad because it was take your son to work day, which is a good continuation of the lie he was telling earlier. Uh, I love that. I think mm-hmm. that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chapman's like, then I suppose you won't mind me calling him at work. And Marco bluffs and is like, not at all. Would you like the number? And Chapman's looking at him like, mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> and Marco's just like, he'll be in meetings all afternoon. That's why I came back to school. But you could just leave a message on his voicemail. <laughs> and Ch- Chapman is just like, ah, that's a really good lie. Just get where you're supposed to be. I do like the appreciation. That, like, it's entirely possible that Marco could be bluffing. Like, yes. as far as Chapman knows. Mm-hmm. And Marco's like, and Chapman just being like, I'm not, I'm not paid enough. Yep. To just keep talking to Marco. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, uh, I have important principal things to be doing. I don't need this. <laughs> I, uh, have done versions of this as a, as a, like, a, a pr- teacher, a professor, where it's mm-hmm. just like, mm, that's probably a lie, but it's a good enough lie that I'll just let it slide. Yeah, yeah, you've put some work into that. I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll let this go. Yeah, clearly you care enough about this that there's something going on. Yes, and I am not gonna get into this with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marco passes a note to Rachel at lunch to tell everybody to meet after school. Good news and bad. Um, and then he sits and eats his pizza by himself. Um. And is just, yes, and just like totally ignores everything else that's going on. Um, he, his mind is going in a million directions at once. Um, you know, he's thinking about the history test he's going to fail. He's wondering if Chapman is going to, uh, bring up what just happened at the next parent teacher conference. Uh, would he rather spend his life working at McDonald's or Burger King after he gets expelled? But his mind won't stay on any one topic because his brain is all taken up with the idea that his mother is alive. Um, Rachel is giving... Understandably so. Yeah, yeah. Rachel's giving him a look from across the room and he mouths alive to her, but she doesn't get it. So she mouths two words that he won't repeat. There's a lot of cursing that doesn't happen in this book. It's very good. Like there's like three or four more instances just like this is the I appreciate the ghostwriters also being on. The kids definitely do say fuck. We just can't <laughs> write what they say. Yes. Um. Uh and Marco is just kind of stuck on this feeling of relief that uh, his mom is alive and it it is now, again, a possibility that he can save her. Um, and it's a lot. 
It just occurs to me this entire, the events of this entire book are just the dr- the nightmare at the beginning. Mm. It's Marco getting a hold of his mother only to lose her. Yep. Yep. You're right. You're welcome. Mm. I'm mm. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there going, oh, oh, he's got his mother. Oh, oh, oh. That's some yep. good writing, but also, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ow. Mm-hmm. Yep, good, good theme management there. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. <sighs> team meeting. Team meeting the at the barn. Um, everyone and, is there. I just say, I just love this little detail of, um, especially after uh, Axe feeling like so much of an outsider in mm-hmm. the Megamorphs, mm-hmm. uh, to have we so readily include him. Mm-hmm. As that, as well as the good content we get, like Axe is great in this book. He is. He's really good. Yeah, but we being four kids, a bird, and a fairy blue alien. Yes. So we also get a note earlier about Tobias being more bird than boy, mm-hmm. as just the casual, fleeting description of him, which I suppose makes it interesting. Like he has some good observations on Tobias and and mm-hmm. Rachel actually later. Yeah, it just sort of adds to that. Yeah. Um, uh, so he tells everyone that he skipped school, took the bus downtown. Um, he's like, and before anyone jumps down my throat, I know it's dumb to call attention to myself. So sue me. Uh, <laughs> and he says, and I saw Visser one. He almost says my mother, but he said he corrects himself and says Visser one. She was in disguise, a terrible wig, blue contacts, and big square glasses, but it was her. And Jake's like, are you sure? And he's like, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and I love how we get this. He's like, you were, uh, yeah, I got a great look at her right before I was going to trip her. You were going to trip your mother, said Casey. Yes, because she'd knocked me down with a big metal briefcase. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Things that make sense in your head. But don't make but it's sense also when you again, explain it out loud. That outward of just like mm-hmm. Marco being playing yes. the clown, being yes. a little bit ridiculous, a little bit silly. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm funny with this, maybe people won't realize how much yeah. it's fucked me up. If I continue to just brush past it like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Uh, Rachel's like, are you sure she didn't recognize you? And he's like, yeah. And even if she did, she still thinks that I'm a controller. Um... And if she knew the truth, she'd have done more than just knock me down. Um, and Rachel's like, what was the brilliant motive behind skipping school? And Marco's just like, I'm an adventurer, Rachel. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's some more like joking around until Axe gets them back on point. Like, Visser one's alive. This isn't good news. And Marco's like, the corollary is that my mother is also alive, which is good news. Uh, and he says he followed her into the Sutherland Tower. She has an office on the 22nd floor. And Cassie's like, what do you think she's doing in there? And Marco's like, I didn't stick around to find out. Um, and everyone kind of like talks about what she could be doing, why she could be back on Earth. Um, like, can we play her and Visser 3 against one another? Because uh, the last time Visser 3 saw her, she, uh, he saw the Animorphs spare her life. 
Um, and Axe rightly points out that if Visser 3 understood that we spared Visser 1, he would conclude that she is a traitor. Um, which explains the disguise, but she would still need access to a Yerk pool, um, which Visser 3 wouldn't allow if he thought she was a traitor. So somehow she's alive. Somehow she's getting Candrona rays. Why is she here on Earth? Uh, they know that Visser 1 and 3 are enemies. Visser 1 let them escape from Visser 3 early on. Um, so, uh, like, why Why is she here? Why would she not stay as far away from Visser 3 as possible? Because um, Earth is not a safe place for her. And Rachel's just like, isn't it obvious? She's here to take down Visser 3. It's her only way out. Take down her main enemy, then get herself straight with whoever is above them both. Um, the kids are so savvy with this. Like, very savvy. I, I, know it's, I know it's obviously like convenient, but like, Everything they say is like, yep, accurate, yes, true, yep, yep you nailed yep. it, good yep. job, guys. Yep. It's like, yes, you could say convenience, but also I think it speaks to how good the kids have gotten at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, we we are beginning to see that they are more and more understanding of their enemy. Um. Yeah. And recognizing them as people uh, more than just like faceless monsters. Um, and recognizing that those people will have different motives and machinations and methodology. Um, Cassie says, whatever her motives are, it's bad news. But Jake's like, well, warring Vissers are a lot easier to handle than Vissers united against us. And Axe is like, yeah, you know, uh, divide and conquer, we can use the feud to our advantage. Um, Jake's like, all right, well, we got to find out what's in that office. You know, what is she, what is she doing in there? Um, uh, Marco says she's on the 22nd, third, 22nd floor, third door to the right off the elevator. Axe is like, we might be able to gain access from the roof. Tobias is like, yeah, there's roof access, uh, through a door there. The padlock is pretty rickety. I love how Tobias just like knows everything about this fucking city from the air. Mm -hmm. Like, my boy has nothing but time on his hands, but god damn, he uses that time well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Cassie's like, you know, do we use fly morph? Uh, go up to the roof as a bird, demorph, morph a fly. Mark was like, no, I got trapped in the vent system that way, so we should use something a little heavier. Um, cockroaches would work. Um, Jake says that he can't go on this mission on this reconnaissance mission because he has a family function rachel has to babysit for her baby sisters um and cassie uh is like i have to study because i'm one test away from a d in math if i get a d my parents will be in my life 24 hours a day uh and then tobias <laughs> being tobias makes the <laughs> observation x and i are available no families, no homes, nothing to do but watch the owls eat my mice. Axeman and I will handle this. Which, Tobias, my son, please. <laughs> you break my heart. Uh, um, and Marco's like, oh, and also I'm going, of course. And Jake just kind of looks at him. And Cassie's like, what about your dad? Um, and Marco, uh, 
tweaks that she's trying to give him a way out to be like, oh, yeah, I actually have to do this thing for my dad this evening. I can't go and spy on my mother and potentially hurt her. Um, he doesn't <laughs> take the out, though. He does not take the out. Um, Jake continues to look at him. Rachel looks away. Um, there's a lot of good body language in this. Mm. Um, especially from like Jake and Rachel and Cassie, uh, who are the only other humans who really use, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but the fact, no, but you're right. Like they're very expressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that Marco notices it. Yes. He also is very, picks up very quickly if people are using thought speak around him, but not including him in it, mm-hmm. which I think just, pays to that yes. aspect of him where he is always paying attention. Yeah. Um, Axe just comes right out and says it. <laughs> There's the problem of Visser 1 inhabiting your mother's body and the temptations that seeing her again might arouse. <laughs> and Cassie's like, Axe is right. Coming face to face with Visser 1 again will be hard for you and dangerous for all of us. And Marco's like, did I give us away at the Royan Island mission? Or today? And Rachel's like, first time? Pretty close. And he's like, I didn't. And that's the fact. And there's just kind of an awkward silence. Um, and he gets angry. Um, I don't believe this. We've been through this before. The mission comes first. Personal hangups second. I'm in. I'm going. Period. Which, like, isn't how they usually operate. They don't usually say mission comes first, personal hang up second. They always give each other the out when it comes to this shit. Marco gives Jake the out whenever it has to do with Tom. Um, you know that post that's doing the rounds or that TikTok sound, which is just like about being gracious to other people, which is like, but that rule doesn't apply to me. Uh huh. No, no. Yes. Um, and Jake is just like, all right. Fine, I know you're going to do it anyway if I tell you don't. So, Axe, Marco, and Tobias, uh, go do reconnaissance. Don't do anything stupid. Uh, and if it comes to a judgment call, Tobias makes the call. Uh, that caught me off guard, but there was no point arguing. In Jake's place, I'd have done the same thing. No problem. Jake came and took my arm and drew me with him outside into the afternoon sunlight. I cringed. I knew it was coming. I noticed a certain lack of details about what happened today, Jake said, which tells me you did things that I probably don't want to hear about. Yeah, you probably don't. I tried out a devil-may-care grin. Not a big success. Jake folded his arms over his chest and looked down at the ground in silence, then up, then up at me. Jake has changed a lot over the months we've been fighting this little war. The look he gave me did not come from my boy Jake, my bud, my pal. It came from a battle commander. Freaky seeing how old Jake has gotten. Marco, you're my best friend, but if you ever go off like that again, you and I will have serious problems. In the old days, I'd have said, bite me, or something equally brilliant. Now I said, okay, understood. It was all I could do to stop myself from saying, yes, sir. Which, like, whoo. And I like, after that observation about, like, Battle Commander, whether that would have been a sarcastic yes, sir, or a genuine one, because both are upsetting in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's not clear. Mm-hmm. 
Because my instinct is to read that as a yes, sir. Um, which is just like that flippantness. Mm-hmm. But the heartbreak of it being a serious one. Yeah. And making it clear it's out loud. It's like s- expressing out loud the thing that they all know, mm-hmm. which is that Jake is the leader and that they do what he says. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I read it as a genuine yes, sir. Um, just like responding to that air of uh, yeah. authority that Jake is exuding in this moment. That's my first instinct reading it too, but I just, mm-hmm. my brain also hits on that notion mm-hmm. because we've seen how Marco acts around authority. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Mm-hmm. He rankles against it, which is why it makes that interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like that it's not because it's something he's saying in his head. We don't know what tone it would have had. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I also like Jake's utter awareness, just like, yeah, I know what you're like. I know what what it means. Mm-hmm. And Marco making no attempt to lie about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's interesting and also heartbreaking, the notion of somebody knowing you so well, like your best friend, and then you finding yourselves in this kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And the way certain things just carry over, just having a significantly more upsetting connotation because yep. of the new situation you're in. Yep. I've yep. been off to- Briefly off topic, I've been thinking a lot about, um, I promise I will not talk about this long, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> I'm deep in the Our Flag Means Death, uh, pit at present. Mm-hmm. Excellent show. Go watch it. Improve their numbers. Good queer representation. Lots of people of color. It's just fantastic. Anywho, I've seen a, a couple of snippets of arguments about, uh, from Taika Waititi and Reese Darby talking about playing a romance with somebody you've been friends with a long time. Mm. and how it brings certain things to it. And I was thinking about how uh, I play very... I inevitably end up playing romantic relationships with most of my characters, um, (laughs) with my friends. Mm -hmm. And then I was just thinking about just having that connection to somebody Mm -hmm. and then how it ends up manifesting differently and the upsides to that and the downsides to it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting. Like it's deeply compelling to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as devastating. To be <laughs> yep. Okay. It's, uh... I would like my, my restraint on not going off on one too long about our flag means death. Cause I am like slip sliding down the special interest <laughs> slip and slide right now. Uh, yes, I have you, it. you did amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Do it reminds me with your friends; they will enable you. <laughs> yes, um, it reminds me. Uh, recently, I I forget where I took the rule from. Um, I think it was. I think it might have been Mothlight, um, but the. The rule for PvP in Idiot Teenagers now is 
that you roll plus your bond. Um, oh, you bastard. That's so good. Because the ah. people who know you best can hurt you worst. Absolutely. You're a magnificent bastard, <laughs> and I appreciate everything you choose to be. Uh, I, uh, I'm now thinking about PvP with the possibilities without the live include, and now I'm sad. So <laughs> I'm smiling, and I'm sad. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so Marco sneaks out of his house at 1130 that night. Morph Siegel goes and meets Axe and Tobias at a park. Um, and they fly over to the Sutherland Tower. <laughs> um, Tobias is like, the light isn't on in the office. Uh, and Marco is confident that his mother is still there. I don't know why he's so confident. I think maybe it's wishful thinking at this point. Um, mm. But uh, they land on the roof. They morph Roach. They spend a few minutes being uh, afraid <laughs> of being out in the open. Uh, and then they eventually get control of their roach instincts and have to make their way to the door. Um, it takes them I a little appreciate, while. I do appreciate the little shit talk of Axe being like, you guys are being idiots. <laughs> yeah, being like, you're halfway up a flag. You're six inches up the flagpole. Yes. Yes. Um, and they start to go down the stairs, uh, from the roof after they get in the door. They start to go down the stairs. Um, and they're like, man, this is taking for fucking ever. Um, there are two ways a roach can do go down the set of stairs. It can climb across each tread and down each riser, or it can simply leap off each step and land on the step below. Unfortunately, we had a lot of steps to go to get down to the 22nd floor. So I suggested a third possibility. And the third possibility that he suggests is, like, luging down the fucking handrail. Uh, Incredible. It's Inspired. amazing. <laughs> Uh, so proud of my son. <laughs> yep. And Tobias is like, what if we fall off? And Marco's like, we land on the steps. Big deal. And if we fall off to the right? <laughs> I was afraid he was going to bring that up. <laughs> then we find out just how far a roach can fall without getting killed. Um, you know, it occurs to me that we have a couple of instances, because they end up like flying into a wall when, mm -hmm. as they l depart the luge. Mm -hmm. um, we get a couple of instances of them talking about how hardy cockroaches are. Uh, mm -hmm. This will become important later, mm. by the way. Mm -hmm. But again, this is some solid foreshadowing that yeah. isn't necessarily obvious that it's foreshadowing. Yes. So. Yes. Um, but yeah, they, they fucking zoom down the handrail uh, and uh, Axe keeps track of the, of the corners. turns uh, and lets them know when they need to jump off. They jump off. Honestly, it works like flawlessly. <laughs> yeah, um, not the most graceful of exits, but yeah, yeah. Uh, really cool. Let's never do that again. Uh, we don't want to <laughs> test whether it will work twice. <laughs> um, so they get into the hallway of the twenty-second floor. Uh, some dude comes out of an office. Uh, presumably he's been working there all night, which 
oof, man, I've been there. It sucks. Um, he sees a roach and stomps on it, but it's not one of our roaches, which just like, there always seems to be an extraneous roach whenever they're around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Um, but the dude goes, goes away. Um, and they make it over to Visser One's office door. They climb up uh, to look through the window of the like office door and it looks like just a regular office from here um but also there's an impenetrable seal all around the door which is not normal for a regular office um so probably they, uh hmm? mhm i just gonna, i was just going to take over for a second oh go for it give you a breather <laughs> um so they decide they're going to go through the air vent um, and, uh, they, they're able to make their way in. And what's really cool, uh, we get into, uh, they get through the vent into the Vissa's lair. Um, and we get the axe explains about this hologram paint, mm -hmm. um, that you can paint onto a window and project a hologram onto the back of it and disguise the room. Mm -hmm. And they realize that that's been done not only on the office door, but on the window. So from anyone outside the building wouldn't be able to see in either. Mm-hmm. Um, to full window washers or red-tailed hawks. Um, <laughs> which is a fucking great bit of tech. Like, this yes. is the kind of little sci-fi details that go, mm, yes, love this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And my, uh, dumb kid's brain going, mm, yes, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Makes notable future reference. <laughs> it's fine. I play the technician. I'm allowed to do this. Uh -huh. This is not me cheating. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what you were in for when oh, you yeah. let me read these books with you. Oh yeah. Uh it's okay. The angst potential uh makes up for it. <laughs> As I say, you're a bastard. Oh, I love you. <laughs> um but they make their way in. Mm -hmm. Um and we get one of many upsetting visuals uh, mm -hmm. in this book. Uh, there is, um, Marco has this moment of wishing that he couldn't see what he could, uh, wishes that he was back as the roach, uh, because there is a small portable yurt pool, um, looking there like a stainless steel jacuzzi with a clamp on the side of it, like a collar. And Eva, uh, her neck is in that collar and it's holding her head sideways. So one side of her face and one ear is pressed into the water, just left to be bent over it. And Axe observes that the yerk is feeding, which means that at the moment, Ivra is uninfested. And Marco is only five steps away from her. And your heart breaks in that moment because he goes to move. And Tobias tries to snap him out of it, um, says his name, calls out to him, and it, he has to prompt Axe to stop him. And, Ma and Axe does not hesitate. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, and to be fair, this is, I think, shows actually an awareness for mm -hmm. Axe that nothing else was going to cut it. Mm -hmm. Pun, not intentional. 
Um, and Marco, oh, sorry, an axe isn't cruel. And we've seen axe maybe be a little bit disconnected sometimes, like from the way human emotions work, is part of why we love him. And Axe just lays it out for him, just like, look, the second she senses danger, this one's going to be back in, your, in her head. You can't open those locks by force. They're probably controlled by a brainwave interwave. But that's so the Yerk is still in control. And he, uh, Marco tries to shove him away. But given that, like, an Andalite tail is all muscle, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't do anything. And... Tobias is like, Marco, stop back off the big bed. Right now she's turned away. She can't see you. If you step into her line of sight, she'll know. And that does stop Marco. And Tobias is like, we're here to investigate. Not the time, my friend. No matter how much you want this, this isn't the time. And again, Axe also is like appealing to his sort of, they're both appealing to Marco's logical side, not his emotional side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you reveal your and if you fail, if you reveal yourself, but you're unable to stop the Yerg from re-entering her, what then? And hating himself for doing it, he steps back, and he knows his friends are right. And if he tried it and it all went wrong, they would have had to probably hurt a lot of innocent people. And he observes it's the cold, calculated, smart thing to do. And he wipes his hand over his face and it comes away wet. And he doesn't even fucking stop that. It's just like, okay, so what's in the other corner? And it, it specifies in that like he's distracting himself. Mm-hmm. And he knows that that's what he's doing. And it's like, fuck. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, uh, in the other side of the room is uh, is another briefcase. Um, so there are handheld dragon weapons, surveillance devices, a portable yerk pool. Um, there is a console with a satellite dish on it uh, that has images of free hork on it. So they realize that Visser 1 knows about the free hork colony. Um, and, uh, the briefcases have portable Candrona, uh, uh, generators on them, which appear to be, like, one-use-only kind of deals. Um, the Visser only has six days to finish whatever she has started while she's here. And then they hear Eva speak. Uh, this is... Uh, I think the first time we have heard Eva speak. Um, and she says, rot in hell. Because, of course, she's talking to the Yerk. That must have begun to reinvest her. 